You're listening to Sunday on the Commons, a podcast featuring sermons from the United Congregational Church in Little Compton, Rhode Island. One of Jesus' disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray. This past Sunday, we explored the theme of prayer. Reverend Dr. Richard Floyd's sermon inspired our religious imaginations with questions like, How shall we pray? How does God answer our prayers? Can we bargain with God? Do our prayers change God? Also, it was Jazz Sunday, so this week's episode will feature some recordings from our special guest musicians. comes from Genesis 18, verses 20 through 32. Then the Lord said, How great is the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah, and how very grave their sin. I must go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, while Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not forgive it for fifty for the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous fare just as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will forgive the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered, Let me take it upon myself to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Again he spoke to him, Suppose forty are found there. He answered, For the sake of forty I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, do not let the Lord be angry if I speak. Suppose thirty are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. He said, Let me take it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. He answered, For the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, do not let the Lord be angry if I speak just once more. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. Here ends the first reading.
gospel is written in the 11th chapter of the gospel according to St. Luke, beginning at the first verse. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. And Jesus said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread for a friend of mine has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. And the friend answers from within, do not bother me. The door has already been locked and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Here ends our reading. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Teach us to pray. Such a simple request. Perhaps you are perfectly comfortable praying, but many church people are not. As the Presbyterian theologian Robert McAvee Brown, who I had the privilege of knowing, wrote in the meditation I picked for you today, quote, prayer for many is like a foreign land. When we go there, we go as tourists. Like most tourists, we feel uncomfortable and out of place. Like most tourists, we therefore move on before too long and go somewhere else. The premise of this sermon is that we could all benefit from thinking about what prayer is and how to go about it so that we can stop being tourists and become pilgrims in the house of prayer. And the first thing I need to say is that we stop we need to stop feeling guilty about our prayer life. 
I confess, I sometimes feel that way. Not long ago, I went to the dentist, and my hygienist asked me how I was doing with my flossing. I said to her, and she's been cleaning my teeth for a very, very long time. Her name is Bernadette, and she's a devout Roman Catholic. So I think I shocked her a little bit. I said, Bernadette, I feel about flossing much the same way I feel about prayer. I know it's really good for me, and I should do more of it. <laughs> so what is it that makes so many of us think of prayer as a chore or a religious work, if you will, a requirement, something that we're called to do? Or that they don't have the proper words or know the proper forms, something intimidating about prayer. And I can share with you a little about my own thinking about this. I was raised in the Episcopal Church, and all the prayers I heard as a child in church were from the Book of Common Prayer, which is one of the finest flowers of the English language. And I can still recite some of those in my head. For example, the collect of purity goes like this. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of thy Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love thee and worthily magnify thy holy name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. It's a beautiful prayer, isn't it? And it's typical of the prayers I heard in public worship as a child, along with the King James Version of the Bible and the works of Shakespeare, which are all from roughly the same period. They represent the English language in its final flower as a thing of great beauty. And that's one of, that's one of the problems that we have <laughs> about our prayers, because if we hold up the finest examples of prayer from public worship with its soaring language and its subordinate clauses as the model for our own personal prayers, we get intimidated. These prayers in the prayer book were written by learned, pious men who spoke several languages, most of them dead, and were poets and preachers and really geniuses. Our prayers can't compete with theirs in beauty and art. But here's the thing, they don't need to compete because it's a different form. Public worship is different than personal private prayer. And the antidote to that intimidation is Jesus's lesson on prayer. His advice is simple and straightforward. And that's the first thing to remember about prayer. Keep it simple. It doesn't have to sound like the Book of Common Prayer. I mean, if you can make it sound like the Book of Common Prayer, that's a good thing, but I'm, you know. Um, the disciples wanted to know how to pray. Teach us to pray. They wanted a manual, something simple. What are the directions? When I think of simple directions, I think of shampoo. Have you ever read the directions on a bottle of shampoo? I mean, one wouldn't think you'd needed directions on a bottle of shampoo. It says something like, put product in hair, lather, Rinse and repeat. 
And so Jesus likewise gave them simple answers. He said, he said, ask, search, knock, and repeat. You've got to keep at it, he said. You've got to be persistent. And he gives them a simple template as an example, which is the Lord's Prayer. And Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer is even simpler than the ones that we use here in worship, which come from Matthew. Um, he says, keep it simple, be persistent, and he gives them this template. Let's take a closer look at the Lord's Prayer. The first part of the prayer is the most important part. It's the foundational part. Hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed means to honor as holy. This is where prayer begins in awe and wonder at the holiness of God. And what is God's holiness? God's holiness is God's defining attribute. It is God's separateness, transcendence, otherness. It is God's godness, if you will. I'm not sure that's a word, but you know what I mean. God is not a thing among other things, but the one who transcends all things. God is Paul Tillich's ground of all being, Thomas Aquinas's prime mover, Karl Barth's holy other, Alcoholics Anonymous's higher power. And the impulse to pray to that which is beyond ourselves, outside ourselves, is rooted in our humanity and in our human capacity for awe and wonder. The great Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel wrote in a wonderful book called God in Search of Man, we do not come upon wonder only at the climax of thinking or in observing strange, extraordinary facts, but in the startling fact that there are facts at all. Being, the universe, the unfolding of time. We may face it at every turn in a grain of sand, in an atom as well as in the stellar space. Hallowed be your name. And then Jesus asked them to pray, your kingdom come. The version we has on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. We pray that the world, the earth, may be more like the kingdom of heaven, more just, more fair, more kind, more good, more loving. And when we pray for God's kingdom to come, we declare that we do not believe that the kingdoms of this world are ultimate. The church pins its hope on Jesus Christ, who makes all things new. The coming of God's kingdom is the ultimate revolution. It is not just our world repaired, but entirely recreated. And the one who prays for God's kingdom to come works for the transformation of this world, even as we wait for God's kingdom in fulfillment, which will never be identical with our own hopes and dreams. Then Jesus tells them to pray, give us each day our daily bread. This prayer reminds us that we are creatures and must rely on God's provision for our bodily needs. Daily bread is the bread which God must supply each day. Like the manna in the wilderness, we cannot store it 
to provide for ourselves. It comes as a gift. And then Jesus tells them to pray, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. This reminds us that the forgiveness that we ask for is the very same forgiveness that our neighbor asks from us. And if we are not able to offer this forgiveness, how will we ever understand the vast loving forgiveness that God offers to us free of charge in Jesus Christ? Then Jesus tells them to pray, and do not bring us to the time of trial. This prayer reminds us of the perilous spiritual situation in which we always stand. God himself tempts no one. That's James 1.13. But this prayer asks God to spare us from the testing of our faith. So the Lord's Prayer is a model for prayer. And you know, there are several varieties of prayer. And I, I always, I had a great acronym to remember the varieties of prayer, which is A-C-T-S, which spells acts. And I used to do this as a children's message to remember it. So let's talk about it. A is adoration. C is confession. T is thanksgiving. And S is supplication. Many prayers begin with adoration, which asks nothing from God. It's just praise to God and expresses our love for God. And often such a prayer of adoration brings us to the realization of God's majesty and power and our humbleness in relationship to it. And we are drawn to confession, which is prayer that expresses to God the things for which we are sorry and need forgiveness. Thanksgiving is prayer that expresses gratitude to God for all the blessings we have received at God's hands. Supplication is prayer that asks God for something to be accomplished, whether for ourselves, which is called petition, or for others, which is called intercession. And there you have it. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication acts, reminding us that in addition to praying, we must act on our prayers. Pretty neat and simple. But Rabbi Mark Gelman did it even better. He's quoted as saying in an article in, in, the, in the New York Times Magazine, there are only four basic prayers, give me, thanks, oops, and wow. <laughs> now that's really simple. So does it fit my template? Well, let's see, give me is supplication, give me for me is petition, give me for you is intercession, thanks is obviously thanksgiving, Whoops is confession, and wow is adoration. There you have it, wow. But there's always a better mousetrap. Christian writer Anne Lamott. Do you know Anne Lamott, any of you? I see a few heads. Boy, is she great? If you don't know Anne Lamott, she's a great Christian writer. She's got a wonderful sense of humor. She's got a little bit of a potty mouth, but it's okay. Um, Anne Lamott makes it even more simple. She wrote a very good book on prayer called Help, Thanks, and Wow. In an interview with the New York Times, Anne Lamott, who was quite open about being in recovery, said about the prayer for help, which she sees as the, found, the first foundational prayer, is to realize, I need help. I can't do it by myself. Um, 
which is in AA is the sort of the first step, right? Um, she wrote this, I've heard people say that God is the gift of desperation. And there's a lot to be said for having really reached a bottom where you've run out of any more good ideas or plans for everybody else's behavior or how to save and fix and rescue or just get out of a huge mess, possibly of your own creation. And when you're done, it may take a long, quavering breath and say, help. People say help without actually believing anything hears that. But it is the great prayer, and it is the hardest prayer, because you have to admit defeat. You have to surrender, which is the hardest thing any of us ever do. The interviewer for the New York Times then asked her why people only pray when they need something. She said, a lot, of, a lot of the time, we don't know when we're surrendering that we're actually at the same time maybe establishing connection to a power greater than ourselves or something in the next concentric circle out whose name is not me. So that to me is where help begins you know, we're often ashamed of asking for so much help because it seems selfish or petty or narcissistic. But I think if there's a God, and I believe there is, that God is there to help. That's what God's job is. That's Anne Lamott. And if God's job is to help, how does God go about it? Does God answer our prayers? I believe God does answer our prayers, but often not in the way we expect or in the time frame we anticipated. And sometimes God's answer to our prayer is no. Can our prayers change God's mind? Well, on a purely philosophical line, the answer must be no, for God's attributes include aseity, immutability, impassibility, and eternity. The transcendence of God would imply that nothing we could do here could change God. But thankfully, the Bible never read Aristotle and Thomas Aquinas. So we have several interesting stories in which the people that wrote the Old Testament used their religious imaginations to try to answer fundamental questions. And we have one of those stories today with Abraham's petitioning with God to save the people of Sodom. It's kind of a comic, uh, comic exchange. God wants to destroy Sodom. But Abraham raises the issue of how can the God, who is the source of all justice, justly destroy the good with the wicked? And just for the record, the sin of Sodom has nothing to do with sex and everything to do with their loveless lack of hospitality. If you compare their behavior with that of Abraham in last week's lesson when he welcomed strangers into his home. So this story today we have shows Abraham dickering with God to save the righteous remnant. He, you know, he does that. What about 50? Would you spare the city? Well, 50 righteous people, okay. I, well, how about 45? You know, How about 40? And he like whittles him down. 
So God does change his mind, at least in this story. And what about the relationship between prayer and action? Should, be we, should we be working for the things we pray for? The great P.T. Forsyth says that a prayer is a promise. Every prayer is a promise, he says. Every prayer, every true prayer carries with it a vow. If it is not, it is not in earnest. It is not of a peace with life. Can we pray in earnest if we do not, in the act, commit ourselves to do our best to bring about the answer? Can we escape some kind of hypocrisy? For example, if we pray for the poor, what is the value if all the rest of our time and interest is given only to becoming rich? If we pray for our child that he may have God's blessing, we are really promising that nothing shall be lacking on our part to be a divine blessing to him. To pray for God's kingdom is also to engage ourselves to service and sacrifice for it. To begin our prayer with a petition for the hallowing of God's name and to have no real and prime place for holiness in our life of faith is not sincere. And I have a story I want to share with you about bargaining with God. I don't know if it's a contemporary example. You may have seen last week that Robert Morgenthau died. Robert Morgenthau was the longest standing attorney general in the city of New York. Before that, he was the, the uh, U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. And he had a very long obituary in the New York Times. What an interesting life this man had. But the, the story I loved was that during World War II, his destroyer was attacked by Nazi torpedo bombers in the Mediterranean Sea near Algiers and was cut in two by the explosions and went down with a heavy loss of life. Lieutenant Morgenthau, the executive officer, saved several shipmates, leaped into the water and swam for three hours in darkness until he and others were picked up by an American warship. In an interview with the New York Times, in 2009, after announcing that he would not seek a tenth term, Mr. Morgenthau ruminated on that night in 1944 when his ship was torpedoed and went down with 47 of his shipmates. I was swimming around without a life jacket, he recalled. I made a number of promises to the Almighty at a time when I didn't have much bargaining power. His deal? told him I would try. If I, if I survive, I would try to do something useful with my life. I'd say he kept his part of the bargain. Well, the main thing Jesus tells them about prayer is to be persistent. The old word was importunate. He said to them, so I say to you, ask and it will be given you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Frederick Beekner put it, puts it like this. Be persistent, Jesus says. Not one assumes because you have to beat a path to God's door before he'll open it, but because until you beat the path, 
maybe there's no way of getting to your door. Ravish my heart, John Donne wrote, but God will not usually ravish. He will only court. Finally, Jesus assures his disciples that their loving Father in heaven will give them what they need. He says, is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to do good, how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more? How much more indeed? Jesus himself embodies the love and concern that he promises the Heavenly Father will have for his children. And let me tell you that when I am reluctant to approach the high and holy God, I try to remember that this same God, so far removed from us, reached out in love to be God with us in Jesus Christ. That is why so many of our prayers conclude with, through Jesus Christ our Lord, or in Jesus' name we pray. Because Jesus himself is the mediator between heaven and earth. He is the bridge between frail human flesh and the majesty and glory of the divine. So we can pray to him and through him any time we want, with any words we want. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website, www.ucclittlecompton.org. And if you'd like to show some appreciation for what you've heard today, we invite you to please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also support our ministry by clicking the donate link in the show notes. The tradition in our church is to end every service with this simple prayer. God be with you till we meet again. By God's counsels, God uphold you. With his sheep securely fold you. God be with you till we meet again. Go in peace. Thanks again to our guest musicians this week, Melly Bauman on the piano. Dave Zeno playing bass, and Alex Chapman on the drums. For those who can stick around, here is the postlude they left us with on Sunday.